Shehan J. Araja. Shehan, first of all, thanks for being with us. Good afternoon. Appreciate your time today. Yeah, thank you so much. It's, it's funny. You mentioned having on the, the sweats and the hoodies, and I looked down, and I'm like, well, I guess you got me pegged. <laughs> <laughs> well, except there's one guy in this conversation that's in a pair of shorts. So, <laughs> and you go figure. That's a, and you know him. All right. Hey, let's begin right here in River City. Let's talk about Baylor. I want to get your thoughts on, on the changes that Dave Aranda made on the offensive side of the football. Yeah, I think that if you were to go into the offseason and know that there would be a staff change, obviously that was no guarantee, but it sure seemed a lot more likely after the struggles of the past year. I think that you look around the country, and I don't know if you could have done a whole lot better than bringing over BYU's offensive coordinator and obviously their offensive line coach. Uh, they were as good an offense as you could find in college football. And, and I mean, I really mean that. It, it was them in Alabama for the best offenses in all of college football. And that's no guarantee that they're going to be able to come in at, at a school like Baylor and the Big 12 and do the same thing. But, uh, but you've seen the pieces. You've seen them develop great offensive linemen. You've seen them develop a quarterback into what looks like maybe now a top five NFL draft pick. And, and this is a, a staff that knows how to have success. So, I really think that if you were to, again, look at the country as, as a whole and pick out who exactly you would have wanted, I think that Jeff Grimes would have been really high on the list. And ironically, with the connections between now, the connections between the Baylor and BYU staffs, you've got BYU on the schedule this season. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's going to be a little bit of a revenge spot for, for BYU's players since they're going to, you know, they know that their coach obviously ended up leaving for Baylor. But I think that's going to be a really fun game. Obviously, BYU's probably not going to be in that sort of top 15 conversation like they were last year uh, just because they're losing so much. But they're still going to be a really talented team. They are very far along on offense. They've got a lot of guys who did learn under Jeff Grimes and under Eric Mateo. So I think it's going to be a great matchup, and I think it's going to be a great test to see exactly where Baylor is, especially in the trenches. Shayhan, so Brian Stewart's leaving Baylor to become the D coordinator at Maryland. How big of a loss is this for the Bears, and what direction do you see them heading for his replacement? Yeah, I, I think that I, I think first of all, what we have to say is that what a luxury it was having a former NFL defensive coordinator as cornerbacks coach on this staff. Mm -hmm. I, I think that he did a fantastic job with that unit. Uh, obviously, Raleigh Tejada, I think, was as good as any cornerback in the Big 12 last year. And, and even though they had some injuries and some contact tracing uh, that kind of kept them from having a consistent two-man rotation, I think that, that Brian Stewart did a really good job of bringing those guys along. Now, that said, I don't think that this is going to hurt Baylor too bad in the short term. Uh, I think that you know they've developed talent really well. They bring back a lot of talent. And the other thing that you say as well is that you look across this defensive coaching staff, I think that they've done a really good job of just developing talent overall. So I don't think that the coaching is going to take a step back by any means, even though obviously you're not going to bring in probably a guy as experienced, as knowledgeable as Brian Stewart. But I would expect them, you know, kind of like they've done the last couple of hires, I'd expect them to probably go a little younger. Now that they kind of have some of their guys in the rotation out there, you know, they have some experienced names on the defensive side of the ball. I think that they're probably going to maybe look, uh, you know, more like in the mold of an Eric Mateos, like a Chancey Stuckey, where you have your core guys there on the defensive coaching staff, but now you can take a chance or two, try to get somebody with energy. And the good news is no matter who does end up coming in, they're going to have a great room to work with. And, and again, an experienced guy in Raleigh Tejada leading the way. So I don't think that this is going to hurt Baylor too bad in, in the short or even really long term, but 
obviously when you lose a coach of that caliber, it's going to be felt. Another in-state coach on the move is Jerry Mack that's leaving Rice for uh, Josh Heupel's staff at Tennessee. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think that that's a great identification by Tennessee staff and by Josh Heupel. Uh, Jerry Mack was a coach who was the head coach actually at North Carolina Central before he came and joined Mike Bloomgren's staff at Rice. And I, I think that you know if, if you're not kind of in the weeds at Rice, it's easy to kind of I think not appreciate what they're trying to do over there. But you know they they really wanted to come in and institute some of that Stanford system, that very run-heavy system, developing offensive linemen. And they really looked like they were on the way to doing it through two years, and then this year was kind of the COVID year. You didn't get a good feel of it. But uh, they've done a really good job running the ball. They've actually developed running backs, in my opinion, quite well. Uh, The big issue for them has been injuries, and then obviously that COVID situation. But, uh, look, I think that's a credit to Tennessee for, for identifying a guy like Jerry Mack, who, again, has been in North Carolina, obviously has recruited the state of Texas, and, and I think he's going to be a really good fit over there as a running back coach. One, I thought you had a really great story earlier this week on McMurray and the long losing streak that they were able to end. Can you kind of give our listeners a clip note version of that? Yeah, so McMurray is a school that I think historically has has been very competitive at the Division Three level and, and NIA before that, but they've kind of fallen on some hard times. And the thing with Division Three is that when you fall on hard times, like you're not just talking about we don't have you know, we're not being coached well enough and anything like that. Like you're literally talking, we don't have enough guys here who can play football, right? We don't have enough numbers in the program. And so uh, they got a, a great coach from Hendricks, uh, Hendricks College, excuse me, a couple of years ago named Jordan Neal, a guy who's from Abilene, a guy who really wants to be invested in this program and wants to build long-term. But they hadn't won a football game in over 850 days because of just the way things went. And obviously you lose uh, in 2020, you lose a whole season. And the year before that you go, Oh, and 10 and you end the last era on a four game losing streak. So it's a real build, especially at that division three level, because you are trying to put together multiple recruiting classes. You're trying to convince kids to stay involved in football. You got to convince kids to pay their own way to come to McMurray university to do it. And finally, in their first game of the spring season, they were able to, to come out and have a great game and, they were able to hold on to, to win their first conference game by three points. And so it was just a great story for, for McMurray, you know, which again is a program that has been very proud over the years. Actually, Grant Taft went to McMurray, of course, as people might know. So uh, it's a great story for that community, and, and it's very exciting for what may come. Talking to uh, Shehan Jayaraja from Dave Campbell's Texas Football Magazine. Speaking of transitions, Shehan, they're making the transition uh, just north, uh, up, right up the road in, in Stephenville at Tarleton State. Talk a little bit about that transition and the process and just how difficult it is to, to make that move to Division One. Yeah, that's a great question. So Tarleton, I think, has been one of the more intriguing Division Two programs in the state for a long time. Uh, you know, the, their last year in Division Two. They were rated one of the top teams in the country. They were rated a a team that might have been ready to come close to winning a national championship. And now I think that there's going to be a lot of interest in that program as they move up to Division One. I I think that when we look back at the last round of FCS, I I guess, realignment and the teams that moved up, it really seemed like they leaned heavily on these big markets. But for my money, I I think that it's – like Tarleton is really the way to go because you've got a very engaged alumni base. You've got a very engaged fan base. I mean, the, the city of Stephenville, obviously, as people know, they love football and they really have started to love college football as well as the team has started to win. And 
Look, the, the jump from Division two to, to Division one is huge, even at the FCS level. I mean, it is it is similar to jumping from FCS to FBS, which obviously, I mean, you know, when when you have Baylor scheduling FBS teams versus even lower level FBS teams, there's such a gap there. But I think that Charlton's a team that's going to be very interesting as they do it the next couple of years because I think that they have a lot to sell. They've got a new stadium. They've got an engaged fan base. They've got great donors. I, I think that it's going to be a lot of fun to watch what, what they can do. And on top of that, I think it's great news for them that they've been able to, to come in and they were going to come in as an independent SDS number. But now, this fall, you're going to have them coming in as a member of the WAC. As, as a couple of the Texas SDS schools, including Ben Houston and Stephen F. Austin, they're going to be moving over to the WAC with them. So I, I think that it's going to be really interesting to see how quickly they can get things together. Again, it's a huge transition. It's not something that can be accomplished in, in maybe a year or two. But I do think in a couple of years down the line, I really think that Charleston can have a good chance of being really competitive. Does it speed up the process that because they are going to join a conference? I, I definitely think so because, you know, I, I think that we even see this at the at the uh, FBS level. You know, these teams that are independent, it's just so hard to consistently get teams that matter to schedule you. It's consistently hard to build a footprint. Uh, and actually, even another school that plays in the whack and everything except for football, New Mexico State, you really see that is that, you know, they just kind of don't have an identity in the football world. But I think that coming in now, coming in as a member of the WAC, coming in with Again, Sam Houston and Stephen F. Austin and Lamar and Abilene Christian, these great Texas institutions, I think that's going to really help give them a lot of legitimacy as they move up. There's not going to be any question about whether they play at a meaningful level of football, whether they really are a Division One football team. And, and again, I think that if they're able to be competitive, I, I think that that's going to mean a whole lot. Shane, I want to get in the, the Big 12 schedules in a, in a second, but Baylor's going to open up the season at Texas State. Is this a make-or-break season for Jake Spavadol? Yeah, yeah, it really is. And I'll tell you why, especially. So he came in, obviously, after what was supposed to be kind of a rebuild under Everett Withers. And he was supposed to kind of be the guy who comes in and gets everything together and and sort of takes them to the promised land, right? Like they kind of thought they were maybe a little further along than they are. And now they only have five wins in the first two years, which is is just not good enough. It's just not good enough. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, they've added 11 guys through the transfer portal, and they haven't added a high school athlete at this point. So there really is a lot of investment in that 2021 season. And we saw some of the signs, I, I think, early in that 2020 season before injuries and all sorts of just bad luck really ended up kind of uh, screwing over their season. And so I think that this is really the year. You know, if they only win two or three games this year and then they graduate a bunch of kids, it's going to put them in a really, really tough position heading forward. And so I'm not saying that they have to go and you know win eight, nine, ten games by any means this year, but uh, it's been a great many years since Texas State has been bowl eligible, and, and I think that they kind of need to get there now. So, like I mentioned, the Big 12 released their schedules yesterday. Uh, looking through those, who do you think's got the easiest schedule, and who do you think's got the toughest next season? Well, I'll tell you who has a really tough one is is TCU. TCU is going to first of all, play SMU in non-conference. And SMU is going to be probably a little worse without Shane Bouchelle in the lineup, but still a very competitive team. And then they go and play nine straight Big 12 games. I think that that's as tough a situation as you could possibly have if you're TCU. And, and, you know, speaking of which, like 2021 is a pretty critical year for them too with how much they return on both sides of the ball. And I I think that it's going to be a real tough task because not only do you get SMU, you also get Cal before that. And to go through that entire stretch basically without any bye weeks, I I mean, that's a really tough situation for a team that wants to contend. And, you know, you look on the other side, 
I've talked about this quite a bit before, but, um, but you know, with Baylor, I'm not saying that they have an easy schedule by any means, but they kind of have it set up for them where there's a little bit of an on-year and an off-year just based on how things are scheduled. And this year, uh, you know, like 2019 was, I think is the really favorable schedule because you do, you know, you do get Oklahoma at home, you get Texas at home, you get Iowa State at home. I think that you have a real shot to, you know, not necessarily, you know, uh, win all those games by any means, but you're going to have a better shot than if you go on the road to all those places. And and I think that, you know, if Baylor's going to try to kind of fix things and turn things around at, at a decent rate, this is the year to do it with the way that they're scheduled. Shaylon, the last thing I have for you is this: what is it going to take for North Texas to turn things around this season? Yeah. <laughs> Trust me, I think we're all asking that question to ourselves, too. And I think that the big thing is, obviously, on defense, they hired Phil Bennett, who Baylor fans, I'm sure, are very familiar with. And, and I think that he kind of has to do what he did at Baylor, which isn't saying that he has to lead them to a number one defense or anything like that, but they just have to force turnovers. They just have to be competitive. They just have to get teams off the field because that offense is pretty good when it's able to get going. It's not consistent enough right now, but it's, it's pretty good. So I think defensively, they just really need to step up. And they've got some guys coming in on the transfer wire, a couple guys from Texas Tech, for example. You know, hopefully that's going to help them in the secondary. But it's, look, I think that a couple years ago, all of us expected Sepulchral to be at a Power 5 job by this point. And and now he's got back-to-back four-win seasons. So I think that they really need to improve on the defensive side of the ball. And they've really got to develop talent better than they've done the past couple of years because they've had some high-level conference USA recruiting classes, and right now we're not seeing that payoff. So, But I think that, look, when you have the worst defense in America, I, I think that you really need to start there. And I think that they've made some changes. We'll have to see whether it helps. Shayhan, what, uh, what are you working on for Dave Campbell's Texas Football Magazine? Well, we've got a couple things going on. Uh, we've got small college coverage going on, although this weekend uh, I actually just published a story saying that four of the, uh, I think it's, Six Division Three games, unfortunately, this weekend are canceled. So you can read all about that at TexasFootball.com. We're also working on a series right now that's kind of a state of the program piece. Uh, and so we're going through all 12 of the FBS programs in the state of Texas, and we're basically breaking down what's going right with them, what's going wrong with them, where do we see them going. And so we'll have those coming out for the next couple of weeks over at TexasFootball.com. Shayhan, thanks so much. Appreciate your time, buddy. Have a great uh, great weekend. Thanks so much for having me. Talk to you soon. Shayhan J. Araja from uh, Dave Campbell's Texas Football Magazine.